Thank you guys for coming back to the podcast once again. This is uh, Reading Extremist Literature, Part 6, I believe. So in the last one, we left off on... uh, I I think we were on Chapter 3. Yeah, and we left off on Paragraph 13. The subheading is called Wheelwork. Uh, So we finish up uh, paragraph 12. We were moving on to 13. So, uh, yeah, let's get into it. Paragraph 13, it says, At first, Ezekiel focused his attention on the four cherubs. And in chapter 4 of this publication, we'll see that those creatures and their remarkable form teach us about Jehovah. However, Ezekiel saw the four wheels right alongside those cherubs, evidently at four points, forming a huge square. Read Ezekiel 1, 16-18. Um, oh, I'll come back to that in a second. They seem to be composed of uh, chrysolite, a precious stone that may be transparent or translucent, and yellow or yellowish green in color. This beautiful material glowed. Interesting. Um, I don't even know if this chrysolite is a real thing or not. I'm kind of erring on the side of distrusting anything in these publications, like not really believing anything that they have to say. And something else I've noticed is that sometimes you have to read these verses that they give you so that you have context for what they're saying. So if it's short, I'll give it a read. If it's like the size of Texas, then I'll just skip it. But this one's pretty short. It's Ezekiel 1, 16 to 18. It says, This was the appearance and structure of the wheels. They sparkled like topaz, and all four looked alike. Each appeared to be made like a wheel intersecting a wheel. As they moved, they would go in... I'm sorry. As they moved, they'd go in any one of four directions the creatures faced. The wheels did not change direction as the creatures went. Their rims were high and awesome, and all four rims were full of eyes all around. So just to give you guys a little refresher uh, for the last one, I imagine what's probably happening is... You guys are kind of going through the progression of the of the extremist literature one after the other. You've probably started at one and you're going all the way through. Um, if that's the case, forgive me. Uh, I'm just, you know, this refresher is more for me than anybody else. But as far as I can remember, um, the last one, Jehovah's Witnesses made a lot of uh, what's the word I'm looking for? They they did a lot of prophesying. They did a lot of interpreting. That's the word. They interpreted a lot of what the scriptures said. Um, if you guys are watching this on YouTube, you should be able to see what I see. Uh, like you can see the pictures in the book. And these these pictures actually depict... Um, the thing that was described in that verse, uh, Ezekiel 1, 16 to 18. Really interesting depiction. But anyways, yeah, so they basically, so Jehovah's Witnesses, the governing body members, went through this book and they did their own interpretations here. They declare 
what these things mean, and they, they tell this to regular Jehovah's Witnesses, and they accept that as fact. This is what this means. And they made a lot of logical leaps in between. So they claimed that, if I remember correctly... Okay, so it, I believe it's saying the vehicle represents Jehovah's organization, the vehicle being described in this verse. I, I think that that's where we left off. So anyways, okay, so that was paragraph 13. Let's hit 14. Ezekiel's vision placed great emphasis on the chariot wheels. It is an unusual combination, is it not? A throne with wheels. We might tend to think of a throne as being fixed to one spot, and naturally so, for earthly monarchs can extend their influence only so far. But Jehovah's sovereignty is quite unlike any human rulership. As Ezekiel was about to learn, there are no limits to Jehovah's sovereign power. In a very real sense, this sovereign, this sovereign can exert his authority anywhere. Interesting. Um, something that I actually found out recently, or not recently, it's been a while, but something I, I found out about a while back was kings rule over kingdoms. It's kind of just one country, per se. It's one thing that they rule over. But emperors rule over multiple areas. Uh, I think that China probably called themselves emperors at one point because of the provinces that they had, uh, considered them separate countries or something, or separate entities. So anyways, yeah, that's the difference between a king and an emperor. Interestingly enough, though, emperors kind of have like a negative view or a negative connotation. Um, if God rules over everything, it, it seems to me that he'd be an emperor, not a king, right? I wonder why they use the word king so much. Anyway, okay, so that was 14. Here's 15. Ezekiel was awestruck by the size of the wheels. He wrote, Their rims were so high that they inspired awe. We may imagine Ezekiel tilting his head back to gaze at the colossal glowing rims stretching up toward the sky, and he added this intriguing detail. The rims of all four wheels were full of eyes all around. Perhaps most fascinating of all, though, was the unusual structure of the wheels. He explained, Their appearance and structure looked as though a wheel were within a wheel. What did that mean? <clears throat> okay, so here Jehovah's Witnesses are kind of trying to depict that, that thing that was described, too. It, it's kind of hard to describe what they depicted here. I guess it just kind of looks like two wheels... What's the word? It's per perpendicular, yeah, I think perpendicular to each other here with just eyes lining all of them, um, oddly enough. So, kind of interesting depiction. I'm not really sure how they would function as wheels, but, I mean, it doesn't really show that happening here. Whatever. Okay, so that was paragraph 15, and this one is... Wait, was that 15? Yeah. Okay, this one's 16. Evidently, each wheel that Ezekiel saw was, in effect, two wheels combined, with one wheel set at, a, with one wheel set at right angles to the other, and sharing the same vertical axis. That would explain why these wheels performed as Ezekiel described. When they moved, they could go in any of the four directions without turning as they went. 
What do these wheels suggest about the heavenly vehicle Ezekiel saw? I'm really confused about, like, what kind of use this thing could possibly have. Of course, Jehovah's Witnesses read a Bible verse and just know in their hearts that it has some relevance to them, that it has some hidden meaning that God is revealing to them through the governing body. I read these verses and I just can't take them seriously. Um, I mean, it, it seems cryptic and, and secret and, and deep, but honestly, it, it, to me, it feels vapid. It just feels empty. It, it's just like they're saying nonsense. And here we have millions or billions of people reading over these verses, pouring over them, trying to figure out the hidden meaning behind them, when there is no hidden meaning. There is nothing here. It's just there's nothing special about these verses. There's no special thing that the author wanted to convey. I honestly think that this is just complete garbage that they wrote down just because. Um, or maybe they had some special use case for it in that moment that's completely lost to time. I think that that's the most likely scenario. But I can tell you what I won't do. I will not assume it has some special secret meaning for me and my life or, or anybody else's life today that we, you know, if we just study it long enough or if we just listen to the right people then we'll understand it, and our lives will get better as a result. I don't buy it. I do not buy it. Okay, so that was uh, 16, I think. Here's 17. Wheels of such tremendous height would cover a lot of ground with even a single revolution. In fact, the vision suggests that the vehicle moved with the speed of lightning. Furthermore, the unusual four-way wheels suggest a kind of maneuverability that human engineers can only dream of. Now, okay, let's just pause here for a second. So they said, the vision suggests that the vehicle moved with the speed of lightning. Let's just look this verse up. Ezekiel 1.14 is what they, uh, what they cite there. The creatures sped back and forth like flashes of lightning. Okay, that, that kind of seems like... I don't know, metaphor, hyperbole a little bit. It seems that way to me. Like, that's how the Bible is trying to convey this. It's not literally saying this object was moving at the speed of lightning. Um, it wouldn't necessarily surprise me if it did say that, though, because people from that time didn't know anything about lightning, didn't know how fast it was or, or what it was even made of. Now we know it's electricity, and electricity moves at the speed of light. It's 186,000 miles per second, or 299,000 meters per second, I believe. Or, I'm sorry, kil kilometers per second, my mistake. So, anyways, point here is that there's absolutely no way it could possibly have, have done that. I mean, no physical object can move at the speed of light. Any No physical object with mass can move at the speed of light, because... Uh, there's a relationship between mass and speed uh, and direction and so on that would just literally, the closer to the speed of light you get, the closer to infinity in weight you get. 
So there's just no way to do it if you have mass. So photons don't have mass. They can move at the speed of light. But anything with mass, protons uh, have a little bit of mass. They cannot move at the speed of light. Uh, they can move at a percentage of the speed of light. But anyways, so let's continue. Furthermore, the unusual four-way wheels suggest a kind of maneuverability that human engineers can only dream of. This vehicle can shift directions without slowing down or even turning, but it does not make such moves blindly. The eyes covering the rims vividly convey the idea that this vehicle is completely aware of everything around it in every direction. Okay. There, see, this is, this is what they do. I talked about this last time, too, I think. They like to extrapolate and come up with these wild ideas of what they think this means. And if people don't believe it, then they get disfellowshipped. They don't, you know, they say they don't trust the governing body. They lose every family member they, they have, every friend they have, if they don't accept this as fact because the governing body members said it. Simply on that basis. Okay, so let's see. Okay, so now we're on 18. What then was Jehovah teaching Ezekiel and all faithful people about the heavenly part of his organization? Consider what we've seen so far. It is glorious and awe-inspiring, as suggested by the glowing material of the wheels and their size. It is aware of everything, as suggested by the abundance of eyes on the wheels. Jehovah's own eyes see all things. Okay, so maybe this was being taken as metaphor. Maybe this is kind of a... a so I'm, I'm assuming that this is a vision that they're seeing. I believe it's a vision. Maybe Jehovah's Witnesses are just kind of reading this as a parable or a story or a vision. It's not taking it literally. I, it, it, it seems that way to me at this moment. And I'm being generous. Uh, so we'll just we'll go with that for the moment. But it honestly would not surprise me, even a little bit, if Jehovah's Witnesses said this thing literally existed at some point in time, because they believed crazier. What then was Jehovah teaching Ezekiel and all faithful people about the heavenly part of his organization? Okay, yeah, so remember, they said this represents God's organization, Jehovah's organization specifically. Consider what we've seen so far. It is glorious and awe-inspiring, as suggested by the glowing material of the wheels and their size. It is aware of everything, as suggested by the abundance of eyes on the wheels. Jehovah's own eyes see all things. Furthermore, he has many millions of angelic servants, whom he may send to any part of the universe, and these can observe matters keenly and report back to their sovereign. Read Hebrews 1, 13 and 14. Now, let's give it a read. Um... Interestingly enough, Hebrews 1 talks a, a lot about Jesus, as far as I know, as far as I can remember. It talks a lot about Jesus, and um, it kind of debunks their whole idea that Jesus is Michael the Archangel. That's one of their claims. Jehovah's Witnesses' unique claims that is unique to them that the rest of Christianity does not share, is they believe that Michael the Archangel is Jesus. And... Uh, you know, Hebrews 1 goes into great de detail about the Messiah and who he would be, so on and so forth, as far as I know. And it, it completely debunks that idea. That's one of the, the chapters that uh, certain scholars use to debunk Jehovah's Witnesses' claims about Michael the Archangel. Okay, so that was, uh, it said, read Hebrews 1, 13 and 14. Here's 13. To which of the angels... Did God ever say, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? 
Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? Okay, interesting. Um, I'm a little confused about the context and how it relates to this, but I, you know, I'm not even going to bother. Not, not going to worry about it too much. Okay, so let's check out uh, chapter 19. I'm sorry, uh, paragraph 19 here. God, I swear, before we finish this book, I will stop mixing up chapters and paragraphs. Okay, paragraph 19. Further, we see that the chariot is supremely fast and maneuverable. So that was in italics, starting here. The chariot is supremely fast and maneuverable. I guess now they're kind of listing its attributes or whatever. Just think of the contrast between the heavenly part of Jehovah's organization and human governments, institutions, and organizations. Those tend to blunder along blindly failing to adapt to changing circumstances until they plunge into catastrophe or become outdated. But Jehovah's chariot perfectly reflects the reasonable, adaptable God who's in control of it. Oh, I love, this is awesome. I love this, this uh, paragraph. This is hilarious. We'll get back to this in a second. Let's, let's finish it. But Jehovah's chariot perfectly reflects the reasonable, adaptable God who's in control of it. As his very name suggests, he can become anything that's needed in order to accomplish his purpose. For example, he can swiftly become a mighty warrior who fights for his people, but he can instantly shift to being the merciful forgiver of sins who nurtures and restores even the most brokenhearted of repentant sinners. Okay, a couple things I want to cover here. First of all, they said... As his very name suggests, he can become anything that's needed in order to accomplish his purpose. So let me just explain my process of uh, kind of learning about God's name. Okay, so I've made a couple of videos on my main channel about God's name. So what happened was I was watching the John Cedars channel. He was talking about God's name. And he said he found Bart Ehrman, who is a Bible, a biblical scholar, really, really smart guy, really knows what he's talking about, what he's doing. Um, he was originally a Christian that that joined um, or started going to a university to learn about uh, the history of the Bible so that he could prove it correct, prove it true. And he ended up an atheist because he went in under the belief that the Bible was inerrant and perfect and the word of God. And he realized that there are errors all through it. Anyways, John Cedars was reading this article from behind a paywall on Bart Ehrman's website. And I ended up paying for that article too. And it was an article about the origins of God's name, how it's supposed to be pronounced, what it is, and where the name Jehovah came from, and where all the different variations came from, and all that other junk. So I ended up kind of translating that into my own words in a video. So my videos about God's name being Yahweh in the Bible, that all came from Bart Ehrman. He is my source, but it's behind a paywall, so... I don't know where Jehovah's Witnesses are getting this whole bit about the name Jehovah meaning he who causes to become. They, they claim that about God's name. They say Jehovah means he who causes to become. 
I I really don't know where that's coming from at all. I it could be that that word means something or meant something before and that is what it meant. I don't know. I know the origins of the name Jehovah. I know that Jays didn't exist until 400 years ago or something like that. And I know that the very first appearance of anything like the name Jehovah in the Bible was in the 1400s, I think, when the King James Bible was being compiled. And it was spelled I-E-H-O-V-A, because there was no J. It was An I was used instead. And it was used in two places, I think. Psalms 83:18, and then once in Exodus. So, anyways, yeah, I don't know where Jehovah's Witnesses are getting this whole he who causes to become bit. I really have no idea what they're talking about there. Probably research that a little bit more at some point, but I, I really think they're just making it up. Um, I don't know. So anyway, this, uh, that was the first thing I wanted to address. Uh, give me one second here, just taking a look through here. Okay, and the second thing I wanted to address, it says, just think of the contrast between the heavenly part of Jehovah's organization and human governments, institutions, and organizations. Those tend to blunder along blindly, failing to adapt to changing circumstances until they plunge into catastrophe or become outdated. If you ask me, that sounds like a perfect description of the Watchtower Society. I mean, that sounds like what's happening to them right now. They are, they are failing to adapt to change. The two-witness rule is wrong. The fact that they're telling their elders not to report crimes to the police to keep it internal that's wrong and it's outdated and it's leading to catastrophe it's leading to millions of dollars being shelled out to to victims of their policy to people who have been victimized by their policies and as a result of their stupid decision to to not just change the damn rule i mean that that the two witness rule was never intended for grievous crimes in the first place. It was, it was designed for civil offenses. Somebody buys a tractor from you and they don't pay you. You need two witnesses when you purchase the tractor who can tell the, the people that you, know, you did pay for it. It was a civil thing, not a criminal thing. Obviously, there aren't going to be two witnesses to a rape, but Jehovah's Witnesses have set that up as the standard. And you know what? If that's what they want to do, fine. That's stupid and ridiculous, and it's going to lead to people getting really hurt. But fine, fine, do it, as long as you also report it to the police. I don't give a shit. But that is where the problem really lies, is the fact that they won't call the police. They discourage people from calling the police. This isn't the kind of thing where they, they get up on the podium and they say to members, don't call the police if this thing or that thing happens. It's the kind of thing where they tell elders in, in private letters not to call the police. So it, it isn't going down, it isn't propagating to normal members. It's propagating to elders. So of course normal members don't really know much about this whole don't call the police bit. But we do know about this don't call the police bit because we got the, the letters that they sent to the elders leaked on jwfacts.com and other places like that. They were leaked. We got leaked court documents and all kinds of stuff. 
really, really useful information. So uh, that's how we know that, you know, what their stand is on this stuff. And it's absolutely disgusting, absolutely disgusting that they don't change these policies to save people's lives and emotional states. It makes me sick, really. So anyway, okay. That was an interesting paragraph, I thought. Believe that was 19. Here's 20. Ezekiel's vision at this point may move us to ask ourselves, am I really in awe of Jehovah's chariot? We need to remember that the chariot represents a reality that exists right now. Never should we imagine that Jehovah, his son, and all the angels might be blind to some problem that discourages us. Nor should we worry that our God will be late in responding to our needs or that his organization will fail to adapt to some new challenge arising in the volatile world around us. Oh my God, this is fantastic. Okay, we do well to remember that Jehovah's organization is active, ever on the move. In fact, Ezekiel heard a heavenly voice crying out, wheel work, evidently a command for the wheels to set themselves in motion. It's... Is it not awesome to contemplate the way Jehovah moves his organization? Our greatest awe, though, we reserve for Jehovah himself. Okay, so in the, in the book of Ezekiel, they're providing this illustration, this vision of weird objects that are logically contradictory. You can't have an object in this shape can't have two wheels perpendicular to each other that actually function as wheels in that way, in the way they're describing. Can't have eyes on the wheels that, that function as eyes and feed information back to a central brain. Uh, it, it's just a completely nonsensical vehicle that they're describing here. And Jehovah's Witnesses have concluded that it represents them. It represents their organization says it right here. Is it not awesome to contemplate the way Jehovah moves his organization? Our greatest awe, though, we reserve for Jehovah himself. So, yeah, uh, I, I also appreciate that last line there. Our greatest awe, though, we reserve for Jehovah himself. They're saying that, that their people should be in awe of the Watchtower Society. Is, is, that's literally what they're saying here. I mean, Jehovah's Organization, the Watchtower Society, that's what it is. Is it not awesome to contemplate the way Jehovah moves the Watchtower Society? Our greatest awe should, we should reserve for Jehovah himself. So, anyway. Okay. Uh, on the next page, there's actually a picture of them filming JW Broadcasting, interestingly enough. Ugh. These people make me sick, man, I'm telling you. Okay, so this is the... the uh, wait a minute. Yeah, this is the... Oh, no. Okay, we have two subheadings to go. So this is the second to last subheading before the end of the chapter. It says, the one in control. Paragraph 21. Ezekiel's attention was drawn from those wheels upward where he saw, quote, the likeness of an expanse that sparkled like awesome ice, unquote. Far above the heads of the cherubs, the expanse stretched out, glistening in translucent glory. At this point, though, the mechanically inclined reader might be full of questions about the vehicle. Yeah, I mean, I just, I just pointed out how nonsensical the vehicle is a second ago. For example, some might wonder, what holds that platform up above the wheels? And how can the wheels function without axles to join them together? Keep in mind that this vehicle is not bound by physical laws, for it's symbolic, a depiction of 
a reality in the spirit realm. Okay, there you go. So now they're saying it is symbolic. It was not, they're not taking this literally. Note two, these key words. The spirit operating on the living creatures was also in the wheels. The spirit operating on the living creatures was also in the wheels, huh? Wonder what that means. What spirit was operative on those cherubs and on the wheels? Okay, so that's paragraph 21. This is 22. Without question, it was Jehovah's Holy Spirit, the most powerful force in the universe. That active force holds this vehicle together, empowers it, and governs its perfectly synchronized movements. With that in mind, let us follow Ezekiel's gaze as it turns to the one in control of the chariot. And then on uh, paragraph 23, it starts out, read Ezekiel 1, 26 to 28. Above the vault over the heads was what looked like a throne of lapis, laz- uh, lapis lazuli. And high above on the throne was a figure like that of a man. I saw that from what appeared to be his waist up, he looked like glowing metal, as if full of fire. And that from there down he looked like fire, and brilliant light surrounded him. Like the appearance of a rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day, so was the radiance around him. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. When I saw it, I fell face down, and I heard a voice of one speaking. Okay, interesting. Sometimes I'll be sitting here reading a script for, like, recording a script for a YouTube video or something. And I'll just, like, fuck up, like, every other sentence. I won't be able to get the sentence outright. I don't know what the deal is. Sometimes I'm really, really bad at just reading one line after another in script form. Sometimes it just flows right out. It's pretty strange stuff. Anyway, okay, so that was uh, the beginning of paragraph 23. It says, read Ezekiel 1, 26 to 28. Here is paragraph 23. Throughout his description of this vision, Ezekiel often uses such expressions as appearance, quote-unquote, appeared to be, resembled, and something like. But in these verses, that tendency intensifies. He seems to be trying to find words for sights that were almost beyond description. He saw what looked like a sapphire stone, this is in quotes, what looked like a sapphire stone, and it resembled resembled a throne, unquote. Can you imagine a throne carved from one huge deep blue sapphire? And there, seated on it, was a person, was a personage. His appearance resembled that of a human. Okay, this is uh, paragraph 24. The majestic figure was discernible only in a general way, for Jehovah radiated flames of glory from the waist down and from the waist up. Okay. So, in Ezekiel 1... 28, I think. Yeah. Halfway through Ezekiel 128, it says, This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. When I saw it, I fell face down. I heard the voice of one speaking. I guess we can kind of assume it's talking about God in these verses. I don't know. I, I guess I'm just going to go with it. Like, I, I'm not completely convinced it was talking about God, but it very well may be. I'm just not sure. I just haven't given enough thought, so uh, we'll go with it for the moment. Okay, so it says, uh, the majestic figure was discernible only in a general way, for Jehovah radiated flames of glory from the waist down and from the waist up. We may well imagine the prophet's needing to squint and to shade his eyes as he gazed at the glorious form. Finally, Ezekiel noted this crowning touch to the vision. 
There was a brilliance all around him like that of a rainbow in a cloud on a rainy day. Have you ever felt your spirits lift when you caught sight of a rainbow? No, but that double rainbow dude on YouTube has. Have you guys seen that? That's so funny, man. I love that freaking video. If you guys haven't seen double rainbow guy on YouTube, go look it up right now. Just pause the podcast and go look it up. Okay. So it says, there was a brilliance all around him like that of a rainbow in a cloud on a rainy day. Have you ever felt your spirits lift when you caught sight of a rainbow? What a vivid reminder of the glory of our creator. That colorful, serene arch in the sky may also remind us of Jehovah's covenant of peace after the, del- after the deluge. Powerful though he is, the Almighty is a God of peace. Peace reigns in his heart and spreads to all those who worship him faithfully. Yeah, so this is just more propaganda, more of their propaganda, just pushing, you know, their specific image of God down our throats here. Um, I don't know. It's it, it's really interesting to to read what they don't expect normal members of the public to be reading. I mean, this is available to any member of the public. I don't think that there's a bar on them having it or anything. They're just not given this book is all, you know. They'd never have a reason to ask for it. They'd never have a uh, a reason to even know it exists. Um, and they wouldn't understand what was being said in it anyways. I, not Not entirely. They wouldn't understand the context behind what was being said in it. They wouldn't understand some of the verbiage and the language that that Jehovah's Witnesses are using in this book that's kind of Jehovah's Witness specific. Uh, loaded language and cliches that only the cult really understands. So anyway, okay, so that was paragraph 24. This is 25. Yeah, okay. What was the effect of seeing a depiction of the glory of Jehovah God? Ezekiel recorded what happened. Uh, Just that phrase there, Jehovah God, that makes me think of when Mormons say Heavenly Father. Jehovah's Witnesses never say it in the same way as Mormons do, and it always catches me off guard when I hear a Mormon say Heavenly Father. Yeah, I was just talking to Heavenly Father the other day in prayer. You know, uh, Jehovah's Witnesses say, I was just talking to Jehovah God in prayer the other day. Just these really weird phrases that the groups use. Anyways... What was the effect of seeing a depiction of the glory of Jehovah God? This is 25. Ezekiel recorded what happened. When I saw it, I fell face down. Overcome with awe and godly fear, Ezekiel dropped to the ground. Other prophets had similar reactions on receiving visions from Jehovah. The experience must be deeply humbling, even overwhelming. In time, though, such men were greatly strengthened by what Jehovah revealed to them. Ezekiel surely was. How, then, should we be affected when reading scriptural accounts such as these? Okay, so that was 25, and they're just kind of recounting what, you know, Ezekiel's take on what happened, and how, and they ask the question at the very end, how should we be affected by reading scriptural accounts like this? Okay, so this is paragraph 26. If Ezekiel was troubled by any doubts or misgivings about the situation of God's people there in Babylon, that vision must have strengthened him. Clearly, it did not matter whether God's faithful people were in Jerusalem or in Babylon or anywhere else. They would never be outside the reach of Jehovah's magnificent chariot. What satanic power could ever stand up against the God who's in control of such a glorious celestial organization? Uh, 
God, these people are killing me. Read Psalm 118.6. Okay, I'm, I'm actually going to read that. Uh, while it's pulling up here, I just want to make note. Psalms are actual... Uh, they're just hymnals. They are Jewish hymnals from Bible times. They're just kingdom melodies, basically. They're just books that, that they use to sing praises to, uh, you know, to God. It isn't like some kind of divinely inspired nonsense like that. It's just kingdom melodies. Unless you think kingdom melodies or hymnals for churches are divinely inspired. I mean, unless you think God handed down the words for that stuff to the Watchtower Society or to any other church or organization out there. There's nothing special about these. They shouldn't be held up as absolute fact, as inspired words. And they say some really, really nasty stuff in here, too. Okay, so Psalms 118.6, it says, The Lord is with me, I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Okay, I'm not really... So, just to recap, what satanic power could ever stand up against the God who is in control of such a glorious celestial organization? And then they tell us to read that verse. Interesting. So they're tr kind of trying to inspire awe in their people. Ezekiel saw, too, that the heavenly vehicle was not far removed from mankind. Why, its wheels touched the very earth. So Jehovah was keenly interested in this faithful people there in exile. They would always be within the reach of their father's loving care. Okay, interesting. So that was paragraph 26. Uh, this is the very last subheading of this chapter, and it's entitled, The Chariot and You. So this is paragraph 27. Does Ezekiel's vision have meaning for us today? Without question, remember, Satan is mounting ever greater attacks on the pure worship of Jehovah. Oh, they said the name of the book in the paragraph. He would love to convince us that we're alone, isolated, beyond the reach of our Heavenly Father and his organization. Hey, Jehovah's Witnesses use the term Heavenly Father too, just not in the same context. Never give such lies a, a foothold in your mind or heart. Like Ezekiel, we have every reason to be filled with awe. We may not fall face down as he did. However, should we not marvel and feel awestruck by the power, the speed, the maneuverability, the adaptability, and the sheer glory of the heavenly part of Jehovah's universal organ I'm sorry, of the heavenly part of Jehovah's universal organization. Notice they they called it the heavenly part. I'm not really sure what they mean by that. Um the sheer glory of the heavenly part of Jehovah's universal organization. They could possibly mean the anointed people, because the, the, the anointed people are supposed to be uh, basically raptured for all intents and purposes. When Armageddon happens, they are going to become angels, uh, pretty much. Kings and priests to serve alongside Jesus um, as joint heirs to the throne, blah, blah, blah where everybody else is going to live on a paradise earth. So what do they mean by the heavenly part of Jehovah's universal organization? They could they they could either mean the the anointed people or they could be including the anointed people in that or they could just flat out mean the angels and Jesus and Jehovah and all that junk. It's possible that they you know they're not including the anointed in that. I don't know. 
hopefully they'll clarify as we go on. Okay, so here's paragraph 28. Remember, too, that Jehovah's organization has an earthly component. Okay, here we go. Granted, the earthly part is composed of imperfect humans, but think of what Jehovah has accomplished here on earth. All over the world, now here they're going to toot their own horn, ready? All over the world, Jehovah has moved mere humans to do what they could never have done on their own. Just leafing through the pages of the book, God's Kingdom Rules, may remind us of the amazing scope of the preaching work over the course of the past century. Yeah, certainly no bigger than a lot of other churches' preaching efforts. I mean, just look at Mormonism. It's freaking huge. It's way bigger than Jehovah's Witnesses. Uh, Although they don't really remove members in the same way as Jehovah's Witnesses. Somebody pointed that out recently. But they do send people on missions all over the world where Jehovah's Witnesses mostly focus on local areas. Okay, so let's continue on. We may also call to mind the strides that Jehovah's Organization has made in educating true Christians, in securing legal victories, and even in using the latest technology to carry out God's will. Oh my God. Yeah, Jehovah's Witnesses have always been about the latest technology. I mean, back in the 1900s, early 1900s, they had sound cars that they would drive around basically with... um, They were basically just giant um, phonographs on top of cars, and they would play these things. They also had uh, portable phonographs uh, that they would carry to the doors and and wind up and play for people. So for anybody watching the YouTube video um, and not the podcast, I just pulled up some pictures of the old sound cars of Jehovah's Witnesses. You know, they they had it right written on the side here. Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, Kingdom Message, Judge Rutherford. Okay, so this must have been after 1916, at the very least after 1916, because that's when Russell died. And I'm not really sure when Rutherford took over, but I know they picked up the name Jehovah's Witnesses. They switched it from Bible students to Jehovah's Witnesses in the... 30s, I think, early 30s. Like I said, I could be wrong there. If somebody wants to correct me, I'll pin the comment on YouTube. But yeah, this picture must be from the early 30s, probably. A lot of these pictures are 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 really old, though. So, anyways, yeah, they've always used modern technology, and we see the same thing happening now at the door. Um, you know, instead of Jehovah's Witnesses trusting their members to disseminate a message that they have themselves. They put the message in video form and tell the members to show the video at the door. It's the perfect method. You've got these little worker ants going around door to door, spreading a message that you've specifically tailored, spreading propaganda that you've specifically tailored. You know, there's no risk of some of uh, a Jehovah's Witness messing it up or, or getting confused or stumbling over their words or anything. You just show them the video and you're done. So, yeah, they've always used technology against humanity. Okay, so now we've got two paragraphs left, 29 and 30. Here's 29. When we consider all that's been done regarding the restoration of pure worship during the last days of this corrupt system of things, it becomes ever clearer that Jehovah's Chariot has been on the move. 
What an awesome privilege we have to be associated with this organization and to serve such a sovereign. Ugh. Okay, and finally 30. Ezekiel's vision has more to teach us, though. In the following chapter, we'll take a, uh, we'll take a closer look at those four remarkable living creatures, or cherubs. What can they teach us about our glorious sovereign, Jehovah God? Ugh, God, it's so cringy. Their language, just the words that they use, that's really unique to Jehovah's Witnesses. Even down to, um, what was it? I saw one just a second ago. Where where was the word I was looking at? Okay, yeah, right here. Um, what an awesome privilege we have to be associated with this organization and to serve such a sovereign. That's such a Jehovah's Witness phrase. To serve such a sovereign. Ugh, it's just so cringy now to hear all their weird loaded language and everything and cliches. Okay, so that's, uh, that is the end of, of chapter 3. Now, there are four questions at the end. Um, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, four questions. Okay, it says, your place in pure worship. So here are the four questions. One, what does the chariot that Ezekiel saw represent, and how do we know that? Two, what can we learn from the chariot's wheels and the way the vehicle moved? And three, how was Ezekiel affected by his vision, and how does meditating on it affect you? And finally, four, how can we show that we are awed by the privilege of serving Jehovah along with his organization today? So, yeah, those are um, just one more piece of the propaganda that they wanted to, to spread to as many people as possible, so... There you go. Now it's spread to your brain. Don't let it get in there too deep. So anyways, yeah, uh, that is that is the end of the podcast. It went a little bit long this time. It's almost an hour. Wow. About 45 minutes. Well, thanks for sticking it out with me. It's been super interesting, and I can't wait to do it again. We'll talk to you guys next week.